If you have too many thoughts whirling through your head and need to settle down, get to know your magnificent mind. We let our brains run the show, but the real juice is in finding your true nature far beyond your intellect. Welcome to A Magnificent Mind with Jan Christensen and Marnix Powells. Join us today on a journey to discover your magnificent and endlessly powerful mind and settle down to your real potential. Now, here are your hosts, Jan and Marnix. Hi, this is A Magnificent Mind, a radio show about slowing down to the speed of life, connecting to your true nature, and deeply enjoying the result. My name is Marnix, my co-host is Jan, and today in episode 8, we have a little chat with Samantha Kohofer. Um, Samantha is a volunteer coordinator and social media strategist at Laurel House. Laurel House is a comprehensive domestic violence agency serving individuals families and communities throughout Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. And Laurel House is dedicated to the vision of ending domestic violence in each life, home, and community. And I think that is awesome. Samantha, welcome. Thank you. Can you, Thank can you. you, can you tell us a little bit about um, what you do and why you do it? Uh, well, that's a loaded question. What I do normally before uh, the pandemic is work with volunteers to help them get the word out about who we are and what we do. Nobody wants to talk about domestic violence. It doesn't happen in your home. It doesn't happen to anyone you know. It's something in the movies or it's something for extremely poor people in poor environments. It certainly doesn't happen to educated people, smart people, nobody any of us would know. So um, when there's not a pandemic going on and we're allowed to be out in the public, I have, I manage the volunteers that go out for community fairs and carnivals and uh, back to school nights, basically any place where we can be around people. And we set up a table with um, information. And often that's the first time that people can pick up a pamphlet or a brochure and see that the relationship that they're in may not be healthy and that there is help available and it can be completely confidential and that you don't have to live this way if you don't want to. We help men and women. Um, we're active in the LGBTQ community. Uh, we help, I think you need to be 17 or 18 to be able to have our services. There are other organizations that will deal specifically with children and we have uh, clients that are up until their 80s. Uh, no gender, no race, no age. Domestic violence sees none of that. It, it, it occurs everywhere in every home. And so originally what I was doing, like I said, was working with volunteers to get the word out. When the pandemic struck and we couldn't be out in public anymore, and it's hard to virtually be at shows that don't exist, um, we try to just do as much as we can on social media and get the word out there. Also, it's pretty safe behind your computer to get information. Um, the problem is you need to like us and follow us on Facebook to, you know, or Instagram or LinkedIn to get that information. So it's trying to find creative ways to let people know, again, the biggest thing that help is available, you are not alone, and that any of our services uh, would be free to anyone and um, are confidential. We are located in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 minutes outside of Philadelphia, but our, um, our clients range from anywhere. Uh, oftentimes we don't necessarily have clients directly from Montgomery County because it would be easier for their abuser to find them. So yeah. 
Uh, we tend to have, um, mostly from what I know within the states, but I know when I started a couple years ago, we had somebody in the shelter that was from Florida. We had somebody from New Hampshire. Um, so it is, we are willing to help people from wherever they need help. It doesn't matter where geog geographically where they are. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and I, I immediately pictured these tables at this fair or whatever where you see, I, I, how does it work? How do, how do... You know, let's if you walk there with your abusing husband or your abusing wife, uh, for that matter, because that's something probably most people don't think about. That you know, it comes from both both sides. Absolutely. Uh, um, it, it, I, I, try, I try to imagine uh, what it looks like when you go to a fair and you see this table with the with the with the banner and with the domestic abuse, and then how you how you slip a a pamphlet in your in your purse or. That must be pretty difficult to, to find people who are brave enough to come over to the table. I think that's what you just said is so key is brave. And I think people see domestic violence uh, victims as victims and um, it's a, a sad sympathy type thing. And I see them as so brave to be able to stand up on their own. So we, I was looking around, unfortunately I'm in my home office, which doesn't have all the perks that I have at my desk, but we do have pens with our phone number on them. We have um, Frisbees, little type things that you could take and stick into your pocket and make a call at a later date. What I find at those events is that people pick up information for their sister, their cousin, their uncle, their brother, and then pass it on and say, oh, I don't know this for sure, but I've always suspected, can I have so-and-so call you? Or, you know, something along those lines. So from my experience, it's not necessarily the victim that's picking up our information, but it's someone um, who loves the victim and um, wants to help them. And I, I, my language is wrong. I should be saying survivor and not victim because- Okay. Mm -hmm. There, I don't consider them victims. I consider them survivors. Yeah. Yeah. And they are both, you know, depending correct. on their mindset, for sure. They can correct. be feeling like a victim. But what a wonderful way to get it out, to have a loved one pick up the information and pass it on to someone who needs it. Because it would be very difficult for someone who's with their, the person who they are fearful of to step forward and pick up a pamphlet of in their presence. Not. They, I don't think they would. I don't think no. they could. I know if, um, I, I can just think, uh, you know, I can just, I, I, I can, you can see the people that are coming towards you and then they look at the logo on the tablecloth and they like recoil, like it's contagious, you know? So I don't think they would, but if they see our logo and then when they're at home in private and they can Google us on their phone or they can um, mention it to a friend, like I, I saw this today and I think that might be for me, then I, I've already done my job, you know, tenfold. Yeah. We just get our, our name out there. We are one county in one state. I mean, we're so, so little, and yet it has to start somewhere, you know? Yeah. So what do you do? Do you fly people in if they contact you from Florida, or how do you help them from a distance like that? So usually we try to keep it um, within, I would say, the tri-state area, which would be uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York, maybe Delaware, you know. We really do try to keep it within Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, as much as we can. As um, I don't think we do flying. I think we've done trains. I think we've done. Um, we wouldn't Uber from um, across the country, but I know we're always asking for Uber gift cards. I mean, that's like one of the biggest things is to get transport. We've had people meet us at a local mall by the food court when 
I guess, I don't know if malls are open or not now, but at one point, you know, um, basically if you can get somewhere, we will have an advocate come and meet you. And if you can't, we'll, we'll find a way to get you to us. If it's someone really from further away, we will call other sister agencies and try to see if they have room. I mean, ideally, you like to keep people around where they are, especially if there's children that are enrolled in school. Again, all of this is completely out the window, you know, with my kids studying in the other room right now. But, um, you know, we like to keep them in the, um, near their family and near the school district and near something that's familiar. If they're going to leave their home and leave everything that they know, you know, at least let them recognize the local library and the local mall and the, the local grocery store. Because, yeah, I mean, I think about this with my child who's seven and my husband and I have been married 10 years and I'm... Uh, we are what I consider to be in, of course, a fantastically wonderful relationship. But I think about if I had to uproot her and move her away from everything that she knew, um, if I had to do it to protect her, I would do it without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of people that, that, that move into our shelter with infants, with two, three, four-year-olds, and then also ones with my daughter's age and older. And how do you, how do you explain that? Because I have to tell you, as a 46-year-old woman, I don't understand it myself. I don't understand, you know, the mind of the abuser. So how are you supposed to explain that to a child? It's all yeah. just, it's so complicated. It's so much more complicated, I think, than people realize. Is, is that part of your services? So what services do you offer? Oh, we offer everything. It's quite amazing, honestly, um, what we offer, in my opinion. We have free counseling, which uh, is now done via Zoom or via the, the, the phone. And it will not show up on your benefits. It will not show up anywhere so that your uh, spouse, if you were still at home, wouldn't see it and say, you know, what's this about? We offer free um, education services. We have uh, two women that go into the schools when they're open. Now they're doing it through Zoom and educating what healthy relationships look like. So you start at a young age so that someone like my daughter who's in second grade um, would know right away that if a boy is talking, uh, bullying her or, or you know, um, did anything to her that made her feel uncomfortable, it's okay to speak up and say, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. And as I said before, I think she is a fabulous example of parenting in her home, but not everybody has that. And maybe she doesn't yeah. know, um, yeah. you know, what, what looks, what's right and what's wrong. I grew up in a divorced home. My parents were not abusive towards each other, but I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like, you know, in some ways, because I had, that hadn't been modeled to me. Um, yeah. So we offer into the schools counseling. Uh, we have a domestic abuse response team, which is DART, D-A-R-T. And they are... A couple of staff, I want to say there's now five full-time staff, the rest are volunteers. They go out to the police stations and the hospitals um, any time of the day to sit with an advocate and help them fill out a protection from abuse order, uh, sometimes just hold their hand or sit by them so they don't feel alone. One of the, um, uh, I can't think of the right word, one of the um, aspects of abuse is that the abuser isolates you from your family, takes away, makes it so that you don't trust your friends and that you don't go out anymore and you don't see your family. So to be able to have an advocate come and sit with you, oftentimes you've been alone. You know, you've had your pets and your children to lean on. So for someone to just sit there and rub your back, hold your hand, um, honestly, right now we're masked up and sitting six feet apart, but you're not alone and we're here to help you. And um, again, you're not alone. This isn't your fault. Um, you know, all the things that make make perfect logic sense to someone who's not in an abusive relationship. But when you're in it, you can't see, what is the expression, the forest through the trees? You just don't know. And if you've been emotionally abused for so long, you don't believe that you have the right to get out. You don't believe that life could be any different than what it's been. 
And a lot of time it's important to say also that the abuse is not physical. It's not necessarily that yeah. someone shows up uh, with a black eye or with a cut on their face or with a, you know, a wrist fracture. A lot of times it's yeah. years and years and years of, or months or days or whatever of just um, telling that person emotionally, you're not good enough, nobody else would want you, um, all that. So that's where the counseling really comes into play because you need to um, educate the survivor that, you know, you've been beaten down for so long and that's not, so you kind of have to start from scratch, you know, of a lot. So that's why I think the counseling and the fact that we can do it for free is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, other services. I mean, I don't even have my pamphlets with me right now, but we offer, you name it. And I bet I can come up with a way. If we don't have it, we are, we can work with an agency that can get it for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so is, 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 is uh, COVID, is that uh, evoking more bad things happening within Uh, makes sense yeah yeah absolutely i think um absolutely so think about if you're at home during a normal day and you can at least get out and go to work and your child can go to school and you can get away for a little bit now you're home and in march april may when you were home and at least here in the states you literally nothing was open i mean gas stations grocery stores we were uh, personally we were getting our groceries delivered uh i don't even know there must have been six, eight weeks where we didn't even leave the house. So if you're in an abusive relationship during that time, it amplified. I mean, uh, the fatality rates in our county had been going up. The phone calls were going up. I, um, I don't have the exact statistics, but yes, everything was on the rise and it's still on the rise because although the world is starting to slowly open up again, people are stressed out. The anxiety levels are through the roof. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's not a good time to be stuck in an environment that's not healthy, no matter what kind of trauma might be going on at the home. So, and, and so there must be a lot of people who are um, up for being, being, being helped, being assisted. Is there a waiting list? Do you? Interestingly enough, not. I, I don't believe there is a waiting list. We, um, our shelter, we're very proud to say we're a 27 bed shelter um, that was, uh, we were founded in 1980. But after COVID came and the residents moved on to permanent housing, oh, that's another service we have is helping people find housing um, after, because our shelter's supposed to be 30 days. It's usually more like 90 days, depending on how the um, person comes to us, if they even have driver's license or a bank account or anything like that. Um, Oh, I got off track of what you asked. This is what happens. I get so passionate talking about it. I have it all the time. Waiting list, Uh, yeah. (laughs) You said, is there a waiting list? So what I started to say is, so our shelter is closed now. Everyone has moved out. We've kept it closed so that we can keep it safe. And we um, just have people there working the hotline and we've moved into um, some local hotels. So I think because we have hotel rooms, we're able to get more rooms. Of course, that means more fundraising to be able to pay for them. But I don't believe there's a wait list. But I think even pre-COVID, there wasn't a wait list. I think they're pretty particular about um, who gets to stay at the shelter. And um, Mm -hmm. each woman... We're opening up a new shelter. It was supposed to be this year. I'm imagining now it's going to be 2021 where we can also accept men and trans. But right now it's women only. We just, uh, if you can imagine a woman being in a shelter, if there was a male who was also, um, you know, a survivor, but it could be triggering for the same, the different sexes to be together. So right now it's just a, a women's shelter, but we're, you know, changing that sooner rather than later. But um 
No, there. I guess it just it somehow works that when the people, oh, every woman gets their own room, every family gets their own room, basically. Mm-hmm. If you're a single woman, you can be paired with another single woman. But if you're a woman who's there with two, three, we've had four children, we'll get you in two rooms if we need to. But like I said, it's 30, 60, 90 days, and they will start to go out as the next family comes in. It somehow seems to work. So, so during the, you know, so you're, you're obviously saying that it's 90 day max, so... And during that time, you try to help and find new solutions, new places for people to live. Uh, Is that what you also do? Do you provide those services as well? Yes, absolutely. We have a transitional housing coordinator that literally helps people transition from our shelter to their new home. If you can imagine, a lot of our survivors uh, never owned a home before, never had to pay rent before, never had to pay electric bills. They don't have anything in their name. Uh, Sometimes they're changing their name. They're going back to a maiden name. Um, So we really help them establish a line of credit, get, like I said, get a driver's license, uh, things that, again, you would almost see as fundamental. But if you've been in a situation like a lot of these uh, women and men have been in, um, a lot of the men we see from different cultures uh, that are in this situation, but we do see American men as well. Um, So, yes, our... um, I just, uh, transitional housing, and then we have counselor advocates that will also help people um, just start to get back on their feet. And again, sit with them at the uh, DMV and help them get a driver's license, help them pass their driver's tests, mm-hmm. learn how to balance a checkbook. I mean, I have to tell you, I don't balance a checkbook now. Everything's online. If I had to go back to balancing a checkbook, yeah, you'd be screwed. I'm mortified yeah. for when my daughter gets to that chapter in school because I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm going to help her. I have <laughs> so, a bookkeeper but, for that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. You have to know what you're good at, and yeah. So yeah, and, and I know I'm and, not. Oh yeah, well that's a good thing. Um, so the so you know, there are so many things that you never think about when you're not really exposed to 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 this this topic, and there's things like yeah, probably the abusers take away all the power that people had, like in in like even things that are in their name, things they they possess, like they don't have anything, so. So it's really hard to get away because they have hard, hardly have anything to fall back on because they don't have any, no roots in, in society. No, like you say, uh, no uh, house for, on their own, no driver's license, no. So um, do the, the, these, these abusers, do they always operate the same way? I don't believe so. First of all, I want to go back to what you just said about power. I'm embarrassed I did not say that first. The very first thing about domestic violence is about power and control. And it's the abuser taking power away from the victim or the survivor. So that's exactly what you're right is we, the first thing we really try to do is to give them their power back. And if the power is they can open up a bank account in their name or the control is that they can go to the grocery store, not be on, have an allowance that you only have $15 to spend on, you know, whatever you need. So it's really giving the power back. Um, and I totally forgot what you said after that. <laughs> yeah, Girl, I'm fine. so passionate. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's good. No, that's okay. fine. That's, uh, you know, no, wait, there, there are 15 people that are listening to this and <laughs> they, think, they think it's great anyway. So, no, I was, I was, yeah, I was talking about uh, do uh, the abusers always use the same, uh, oh, they, right. always the same, the same process, the same routine. Uh, 
That I would say no. Um, and that would be better, honestly, for our, our therapists and our counselors to answer because they have more of the insight. The beauty of my job is that I can be passionate. I can represent the agency. I can, um, you know, organize the volunteers. I can do social media, but I don't deal firsthand with the, like I said, I have a seven-year-old and I was a stay-at-home mom before I did this. There's a lot that I don't necessarily need to know. Um, I can learn it if I want to. I remember when I interviewed for the job, how much is this going to affect me personally? And they said, it can, it can be a hundred percent. You can be all in. If you want to work from the shelter, you can, or you can, you know, be in the administrative part and do your job well and be passionate, but leave it at home, leave it at the office at the end of the night, which is hard to do when you're, you know, working at home now. But, uh, no, sometimes the abusers in my experience will use the children against the, against the, uh, well, against the parent, uh, sometimes, like I said, it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's financial. Uh, financial, physical, emotional, uh, electronic, that's a new thing we're starting to see, that people are um, using their cell phones against them. So my phone's on the other end of the table, but imagine if I'm talking to you and every three seconds I'm looking because my husband's saying, did you make lunch yet? Did you, do, you know, constantly, it's different when he's upstairs working and I'm here working, but that constant barrage or making comments on my social media site, or um, we're seeing this a lot in teenagers that they're putting that track my phone on the iPhone. I don't know if Android has that, but, and, and the, I'm just going to say boy and girl, but keep in mind it is not gender specific, but the boyfriend is saying to the girlfriend, but I want to know where you are all the time. Cause I love you so much. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. Healthy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah. Um, financial abuse is a big one we see too. Like I said, with giving a budget to go shopping or, uh, not being able to pay the mortgage or the rent because he or she controls the purse strings and your name is on everything though. And you're the one that has to make the car payments or, you yeah. know, so, so that's a big one too. It's just so many layers. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess, I guess the, the, the whole process mostly is very gradual. So it starts oh, with a little thing and then there's another thing you can do. And then, you know, this Liberty is, it's, it's taken away from you. And, because the steps are so small, you kind of suckered into it in a way. So there's a, um, a training class that we used to do when we were in person where they would say, if you went on a date with someone and on the first date, he or she punched you in the face, you would never go out with them again, right? You would, you would call your friends and say, oh my goodness, I dodged a bullet, that guy was crazy. Because yeah. they don't punch you in the face on the, <laughs> and maybe they never do. But you know, yes, it's very gradual. It's a it's a slow belittling and um, something a little bit something here, and then I'm so sorry. I'm so, they call it a cycle of abuse. Um, the, you know, everything starts out really good, and it's the honeymoon phase, and then something's not good, and I'm oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to yell at you like that, or I didn't mean to hurt you, and I'll never do it again. And then there's flowers and chocolate and candy, or taking the child out so that you can have a day to yourself, or whatever, whatever. And then it just, I mean, it's literally a circle of abuse. And then it happens again. And then over time, you don't want to tell anybody because you've already complained a hundred times to your mother and she's not listening anymore. Or you feel like you're the, the, the girl who cried wolf and no one's going to listen. And then your abuser is also telling you, well, your mother never loved you the way I loved you or your sister doesn't care about you the way I do. And then slowly you're by yourself with just, you know, yourself or your child and um, pets. I mentioned before, sometimes, um, you're left with just your animals. Sometimes people don't want to go to a shelter or a hotel because they can't take their animals. You know, my cats keep weaving between my feet as I'm talking to you now. I, they're my, they're my babies, you know, not quite yeah. as much as my daughter. It arguably mm -hmm. depends on what day, but um, so sometimes people will abuse or threaten. If you leave, I'll never let you see your dog again. Or if you, I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, it's just, 
it's just mind boggling, but it's definitely slow. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's, it's definitely a slow burn to get to that and, point. And you said that, that um, sometimes people may, you know, maybe family and relatives get tired of you when you start to talk about it. And they're like, that's ah, just the, 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 you, you're mentioning this again. So you, you, you quit doing that. And, 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 and luckily for them, there are still people who, who are conscious of what's going on, but those are the people who pick up the pamphlets at the, correct, uh, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, uh, there is a, a degree of people who are aware of what's going on. Um, yes. And, but sometimes I guess people just don't want to know because they probably think it's too complicated or too painful or, you know, not in their backyard. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. I will say, and this has nothing to do with domestic violence, but my parents got divorced in the mid eighties and not a lot of early eighties. Not a lot of people were getting divorced. Then my mom said the amount of people that just vanished from her life because they thought it was contagious. You know, what, what was she, their marriage looked like our marriage. You know, what, what in the world she said she lost, I mean, unbelievable the amount of people that just kind of vanished because it made them uncomfortable. That was divorce. Talk about domestic violence. I mean, which literally violence is in our title. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody. Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And you, you know, a lot of people want to fix people. I had a, a friend personally who I was pretty sure was in a, uh, emotionally abusive relationship and I just wanted to help her so badly I kept telling her what to do she didn't want someone to tell her what to do she wanted someone to listen to her and it wasn't until I started at this job that I changed the way our dynamic was and I realized our friendship has changed because of that oh, that's you know a, that's a yeah that's a very every relationship thing. is different no but it's a very powerful thing you're mentioning right now the whole the whole listening I hear that all the time you know from from my clients who said well and I think that I hear it also because it seems to be a very male thing to always want to come up with solutions. Like, so, you know, I, I, my daughter taught me to stop doing that. Oh, absolutely. I and guarantee said, you I've told my father and my husband, but out, yeah. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so what, when we see the solutions, like, no, no, no. But if you just do this, I say, no, I just want to talk about it. Just not. Just say, mm -hmm, that's, that's all I need right now. So, but I really had to learn that. And um, um, the, the next level is that you become empty when you listen. And you're really very, very uh, conscious and very present to somebody. Maybe we can talk about that in the second half of the, of the conversation. Um, sure. the, count, the timer is ticking down and I'm shutting off. And I, I we'll see you listeners. You'll hear from us after the break. Bye-bye. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is a magnificent mind. To reach Jan Christensen, Marnix Powells, or their guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to insearchofapeacefulmind at gmail.com. Now, back to a magnificent mind. Hi, we're back at the part two of episode eight of uh, A Magnificent Mind, and we're talking to Samantha today, and she works for Laurel House, uh, a domestic violence agency, and we were talking about um, uh, how difficult it can be for people who find themselves in, a, in an abusive situation to to get out of that, and how much of their power has been taken away by the by the abusers, and. Uh, and and just before the break, we were talking about listening. Maybe we can we can talk about that a little bit more. But uh, there's also a question that's burning in the back of my mind, and and I also want to ask that. And that is, um, do you also offer services for abusers? Interesting question. There are a couple of agencies I know in the Philadelphia area. Um, I can't think of a single name right now. Oftentimes we will, we will get court mandated help. A, a, a judge will ask that we offer a solution. Uh, oh, so many, I have so many thoughts that are trying to pour out of my head at the same time. First of all, some <laughs> yeah. people will suggest couples counseling. It is absolutely not, we do not recommend couples counseling because it, couples counseling would be because both parts of the relationship want to work on something at the same time. Um, if you can get past all of this, we would suggest counseling. But in, but then some people do uh, reckon, uh, recommend counseling for the abuser. However, we really are about the victim. The mm -hmm. counseling for the abuser is it's iffy. They first of all they have to want to have help. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they're only in a situation where they would need counseling because the court mandated it. Yeah. They they got a restraining order, um, you know, filed against them. They've lost custody of their children. They're uh, it's not usually voluntary that the abuser comes to us and says, "I want help." In fact, I can't think that I've ever heard that that's happened. So they say that counseling for abusers doesn't necessarily work because they don't want it. But I would like to say differently that if someone does want to change it, um, we would absolutely do that. Does that make uh, sense? We would just need yeah. to make sure that it was yeah, warranted. But I don't. I can't say that I've seen a lot of that, and I've been with the organization about two and a half years. So mm -hmm. not that uh, long. We've been around for 40 years. Yeah. I, I think it's, I can imagine that abu all abusers really like what they do. You, know, it you must can't be, imagine. 
No, I can't. I can't yeah, imagine that they all. That, yeah. No, they it has, they're not happy inside with no, what's going no, on. No, 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 no. I mean, I do believe at, at our core, we're all good people. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm raising a seven-year-old. I have to believe that when mm-hmm. she acts out or when she does something that makes me want to pull my hair out, it's coming from a place of frustration or, you know, um, anxiety or anger. And it's my job and my husband's job and our family's job and the teacher's job to get her back on track but I see what that does to her. And so if you think of that as a grown person who's acting out in this way, um, no, I can't imagine it makes anyone feel good to um, hurt somebody else. And like I said, at, these, at the core, these abusers, I believe genuinely do love the, the victim and the survivors. These are fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And I, they're in this relationship because they genuinely did fall in love with that person. And maybe I'm naive, but I do think that I, yeah, I totally agree that, that them abusing their partner is not making them feel good. Mm-hmm. No. I like where you're coming from, too, when you say that uh, people all are good at the core. And that's sort of what we always talk about, that there's an inner, there's an inner health in all of us, an inner way of being that's perfectly healthy and perfectly safe and perfectly... Um, good. And anybody can get to that place. And I think what we're talking about when we talk about the victim and the abuser is really thought. Both the victim and the abuser are caught in thought. Mm -hmm. And it's thought that escalates and creates the situations that then come out in whatever volatile ways they come out. And it can be helpful if people understand their thinking and understand how we as humans work. That we have a thought and then we attach an emotion to it. And then there's a behavior that comes following that usually. Mm-hmm. And when we become aware of that, we can try to stop at the thought. If people understand that they don't have to believe their thinking they can stop at the thought and they can look at the thought and say, you know, maybe that's not a thought that I want to attach an emotion to. Maybe I don't want to pay attention to that thought. So I love that idea, but how many people are that self-actualized? I mean, yeah. including myself. More and more, more and more. Well, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we were taught, taught that, that the society creates our feelings. Like, you know, I've worked in advertising for 30 years. That is only about society or brands, you know, creating feelings. Well, you, you're wearing a piece of cloth with a specific logo on it, and it's 10 times more expensive than the same sure. thing without the... That. Sure. So there is this whole idea that um, well, why, my, my daughter is into brands. And I say, what do you... Well, I really like it. So you, you think that if I blindfold you, that you know that you're wearing this brand. Now, it's it's... And now I do the complete, complete op, uh, opposite. I used to tell people that they needed all these things to feel happy. Now I, I tell them they don't need anything. But um, more and more, see, uh, you see it simply because people, there's so much people are confused and in pain and anxious right now and fearful and angry and lost. And, uh, and, and so they are looking for solutions. Just, just look at how many people start mindfulness, stick picking a mindfulness, meditation, people do yoga. There is this whole inclination for people to 
uh, strive for a more simple life. Like minimalism is a real thing. Tiny yeah. houses is, 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 is one, another thing where we, like we want to downsize. You want to make things simple. So there are, I think there is a real uh, openness for other ways of looking at this. And, you know, the fact that we believe our thoughts and then act on it, it's in Buddhism already. It's nothing new. It has always been there. But in every every era of the of of the of the uh, the history of human beings need need new voices and need new ways of saying the same thing in order to um have uh, any result with with people but i see with all the people i work with people who are addicted and people who are anxious and people who don't know how to make choices and people who are miserable and have existential problems and they don't feel like they're following their heart. The solution is always, 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 and that's amazing. When they quiet, when they start listening to their mind, there opens up a space for a sort of wisdom we have inside, and the wisdom starts telling us uh, healthy things we can do. And this works for everybody. Now, what Jen and I are talking about, this specific thing, is also used in prisons in the United States and in the UK, and it's, it's profoundly powerful what it does where people maybe are um, held there for life, but for the first time in their life, they feel free because they are free from their thinking, free from their worry. It's not that difficult for people to take a, a simple statement like, um, when you stop and look at the thought you're having, you don't have to believe it. Like that, even that statement can be life changing for people sure. because uh, they don't have to have a lot of understanding behind that. They just have to hear the words. That thought does not have to mean anything. The thought that you're having does not have to mean anything. Right. And when people start to see that, then they can start to behave in different ways. When they start to believe and understand that the thought does not have to drive them in the direction. It's just the thought that gets caught up with another thought and another thought that carries the, the abuser to abuse and mm-hmm. the, the victim to receive mm-hmm. the abuse. Um, it's, it, can be, it can be put forward to people in a very simple way that doesn't require a lot of knowledge behind it, which is, is encouraging because... Um, a lot of psychology takes a lot of talking and a lot of thinking and a lot of working through trauma when maybe you can leave it behind by simply living in the moment and getting rid of the thought. So it's, it's something that we really try to um, put out in the world and have people maybe take a closer look at going that way. Sure. Yeah, yeah and, and always with, with the utmost respect for all the different you know, amounts of pain people have. And, you know, it's so easy to get lost in this and then say, oh, it's too simple. Well, too simple is an opinion. It's not, it doesn't mean anything. So, right, right. so if, if I ask people, so you're thinking, so is it your thought? I say, you say, yes, my thought. I say, well, if you don't like it, why do you think it? And then they say, well, I don't know. So, well, it's because you're, you're not the master of your thoughts. They're just happening to you. Why would you take responsibility for something that just happens to you? And most people have never thought about it like that. Like, huh? Right. Are you allowed to do that? Say, yeah. 
Really? Yeah. I work with people who have been anxious for 20 years, who have had EMDR and hypnosis sessions and cognitive behavioral therapy, and and they are on uh, anxiety pills and antidepressants and all these things. And then, and then they hear that, well, yeah, well, you, your thinking causes your, your body to feel restless and feel uncomfortable. And that's what you think the world does to you. So you're becoming afraid of the world. It's like anxious people are a little bit like people who are in an abusive relationship. Their, their world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. No question. And, they say, no. and yeah, and, and, and I think, it, to be honest, I, I, think, I think it's, for me, it's a pretty... Um, difficult topic because I don't have any um, experience with this and I'm very aware of being respectful of talking about this with the utmost love and and and, um, and uh, space around how difficult this is for people so I never want to come across as somebody who says well it doesn't mean anything you just don't have sure. to leave your thinking but it is actually very very powerful to find the place within you that is intact because people they think they can be broken but they really can't they really can't it's your story can be broken and you can have people do many very bad things to you and you can have really very very bad bad memories but when you learn to see that those memories are just old you know thoughts referring to old situations instead of referring to now that's so helpful for many people to see it that way sure i like that so how do you stay, because you're passionate. That's why you forget my questions constantly. <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> but, no, it's true I'm, though. I'm, I'm, I'm like that too. And it's fine. It's mean that you're really living in the now. That's actually, yeah. Eckhart Tolle never t- talks about this because when you're really living in the now, you become really confused because you're really <laughs> just here. You don't care mm-hmm. about questions. Mm-hmm. But you are obviously very very passionate and I I can I I, I understand how, how you can deal with something that is f- very um, uh, in essence painful and confusing and still keep like an, an optimistic worldview around it how do you, how do you do that I mean honestly uh, I'm, I work part-time so I knew that when I was going back to work I wanted to do something that was gonna I, I wanted to make money, obviously, but I'm fortunate enough that my husband does well enough and my daughter was going to school and it wasn't really about being able to pay our mortgage or buy groceries, but it was about doing something that was going to occupy my time. And um, I've worked in corporate America for years. I had done, I worked in healthcare for years and I just was like, I don't know if I want to go work at a store uh, because I like fashion or if I want to, you know, I needed to do something that was going to be interesting to me. And uh, this Laura house, I think was the first job I applied to when I was looking to go back to work. My mother was a geriatric social worker for years and years and uh, in the same area where Laurel house is. And I'd always heard positive things about Laurel house. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that's something I could do and for 20 or 25 hours a week, I give it 150%. But then at three o'clock in the afternoon, I shut down my Chromebook and I tell my daughter to put her helmet on and we were learning to roller skate this week. And uh, no, it is not going well, but um, we're gonna keep trying. (laughs) Uh, Or uh, we were taking day trips to the beach and we were sitting six feet away from everybody else and we were um, eating ice cream and 
Um, I mean, I just, she, I became a mother. It was not the easiest thing for me to do to become a parent. And uh, we went through some rockiness there. And so when we finally did become a parent, I vowed that she was going to um, be the focus of my life and be the center of my life. I was going to be the center of my life, but that she mm. was going to, I was going to give her everything I could within reason to make her the best kind of human being that we could. And that means that I work half the time, I play half the time, and um, I exercise a lot. I started doing that when the pandemic hit, and I do not like exercise. But I'll tell you, 45 minutes a day, I'm outside, um, no matter what the weather is, and it's just me time. And um, that's hugely important for me, to not be a mom, a wife, a volunteer coordinator, but to just be Sam. And I think that kind of helps ground me also. Um, when I take a day off because I'm exhausted or it's pouring, uh, I'm miserable by the, <laughs> the end of the day. My husband's like, get out of the house and do something. <laughs> you need your you time. So yeah. I guess, I mean, it's a balancing act. And the pandemic has really, really challenged us because I'm a very social person. And I haven't seen anyone except for the three of us in a long time. And, you know, we love each other, but, you know, yeah. I need an audience. And they're not willing to, <laughs> to be my audience, so... <laughs> Uh, you, you have a very start. healthy, healthy approach to I life. So. <laughs> and you live in the moment. I try. It, that's taken me 46 years to get here. Trust me, this didn't just happen either. <laughs> well, that's how it works. That's how it always works. Because you first have to appreciate how it is to not live in the moment. And yes. For most people, they have to find out the, 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 the hard way. Um, and it's really, I, th I think it's amazing. And I, and I really uh, uh, would, would, would like to advise that to everybody to, to do it like you do, to have all these things you like to do and just mix them together and not be too obsessed with one thing. But, you know, right. like you say, put yourself in, in, in the first position. For many mothers especially, but mostly parents, that's a really difficult thing. Of course. But I'm That's no good to my child if I'm not in a good place. And yeah, I'm not going right. to teach her how to be a good person if she doesn't learn that mommy and daddy, that we all take care of ourselves, that our needs matter just as much as hers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's harder because as a child, she needs her physical needs met as well as her emotional needs. You know, she, we were tying sneakers this morning and she still, I much prefer Velcro. But, you know, I have to learn that there's certain things, you know, that we, she physically needs from us. Um, but... I think it's her emotional growth to me is even so much, not more important, but just as important. Mm -hmm. Did you, um, when, when I, when, when my, 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 uh, my ex, uh, girlfriend, my was pregnant with my, my daughter, our daughter, we, I, I read all these books about pregnancy and, <laughs> and then I realized after my my daughter was born, and I just I just realized I just have to put my hand under her head, and that's it, and then love her. Right. That's it. All these all these things we like. Oh, I have to read about. It. I have to be out to be the perfect mom and the perfect dad. The perfect dad and the perfect mom are the available mom and the available dad. The or present the ones mom that are and the present yeah. dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they talk about that with animals in the wild. They're not reading what to expect when you're expecting, you know, my, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at your core, it's, yeah, you learn, you cannot hold a, I remember my mom said this when, so my daughter was the second grandchild that was born, but um, so when the first one was born and she hadn't held a baby in how many years and she picked up her granddaughter, my niece, and she, she knew how to hold her, how to hold her. 
it, yeah. it comes yeah. back to you or it's natural or it's instinct or my mother had three kids. I would hope, you know, it came back to her. But you, yeah, you learn how to do it because you know what feels right and what doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe worst case you drop them once, but, you know, yeah, they're they five and then, and then you learn <laughs> from that. But it's, it's very gradual that you learn. Like I always wondered, how am I going to learn her to talk? I thought, I thought it would be such a complicated task, but then right. you just constantly talk to your kid and then, well, they pick it up and that's it. And we can, we can get so wound up about all the future of how our responsibility and how important it is that we are perfect and that our kids are perfect. And yeah. we forget that the norm where we, um, that we use to, to see if we are perfect enough doesn't exist in anybody. Right. Yeah. And, and we have this great intuition that kicks in and we just know what to do. And that's kind of an interesting one yeah, and like I would to talk say, about. If we didn't know what to do, then we at least know to ask for help. I mean, I was sure that I would do, I think my mother was a fantastic mother. She still is. A, we just celebrated her 75th birthday. And, but I was not going to be necessarily the kind of mother that she was. And I would say my daughter was home for maybe 15, 20 minutes before I called my mom and said, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and she never once said, ha ha. Well, maybe when my daughter turned four or five, but not in those first years when I was exhausted and tired and frustrated. She just yeah. came over and changed a diaper or helped me learn how, how, do you, how do they do solid foods? They don't have teeth. I don't know what I'm doing. It, it's okay to ask for help. And I think in our society, people are afraid to ask for help because they think it makes them weak, which goes back to people afraid to ask about Lorahas, afraid to get our services because it makes them weak. But it's exactly what Marnik said in the very beginning. It's, it's bravery. Yeah. It's putting yourself first. It's saying, I want more than this. I deserve more than this. So, so a bit, just a small question. How do you th what do you think the society needs in order for us to, to get over things like domestic abuse? And how, 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 do you, how do we enlighten society? And what can we do? Did you say that was a small question? Yeah. <laughs> a little question. <laughs> a tiny, tiny one. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I think it comes down to really self-actualization and believing in yourself. And like I said, believing that, that you are the center of your universe and that that's not, in my opinion, that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I don't mind if the world revolves around me. My husband has issues with it sometimes, but um, yeah. you know, we're working through it. But that's his problem, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I tell him that. <laughs> he can never listen to this interview. Um, I mean, so, I, I don't know. It's, it's so loaded. There's so many things I feel in our society that could be changed with people just having more compassion and taking a minute to slow down and pay attention to the way their actions are affecting other people, not just themselves. I mean, but this, this is not, this is, sounds complicated, but it's actually very simple because it all starts with you. Now, if I say we have to change the, the society, which means that they have to change and they have to do things different. And now we are saying, you are saying, and I totally agree, it starts with you. Now, I right. can do something with me. That's simpler than doing something with the neighbor or with the, the government or with whatever system is in place. So, sure. yeah, like you say, yeah. When you take care of yourself in the broadest sense possible, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, however you want to call it, then you'll be 
a light for other people and you'll be a solid solid ground for other people as well and then even by being close to them and being interested in them and listening to them and being aware of who they are and, and, and being aware of how beautiful they are you can change the world one one single person at a time a little bit and that's all we need sure and that's a, such a powerful thing mm-hmm. I love that I'm on board yeah but I think you're already doing that by being you <laughs> I think you. so too yeah you're acknowledging your inner self that you're important and that you uh, your needs matter and some people never get that their whole life some people never really understand that that's huge yeah this has been very therapeutic for me i thought this was just a work call that i was taking <laughs> really great no i mean obviously i'm i'm here on behalf of my organization yeah. which i love, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i'm getting a lot out of this as well so <laughs> well this this is my work so yeah let's take you yeah. one step further let's go there marnix <laughs> what to, to work no we're, we don't have to no, we don't no, have to not, go a step further. We're exactly sure. where, we, where we are supposed, supposed to be. Let's talk but a little about the, the, the energy. We the only have one, one minute and 20 seconds. Take oh. it away, Jan. This is your, this is your <laughs> one minute your minute energy talk. We are all energy. We are completely energy from head to toe. And the reason I say that is the universe, before there was planets, before there was anything, there was only energy. And energy figured out how to combine itself and create mass. And from there, develop planets. And here we are today as humans. We're energy and mass. And the energy is is like our spiritual side. Inside of us, we have the energy that you can't see and the energy that you can see, the form and the formlessness. So the formlessness is our spirit, and that's what's never damaged. Our spirit, our energy in spirit is always complete and always whole and can take us to whatever heights we want to go. People are capable of anything and everything because of this energy that flows through us. And the wisdom that it has with it is what gives us our intuition, our knowledge that we didn't know we had, our ability to do things that we didn't know we were capable of doing. That's the energy that we have flowing in us, each and every one of us. We just don't know it. But our capabilities are limitless. Thanks, thanks for this, this beautiful ending, Jen. Samantha, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for listening to A Magnificent Mind. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then.